I work for InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, and it's so good to give an update. Normally I'm up here giving a sermon, and um, I enjoy doing that, but I also enjoy giving an update about the ministry, and I'm trying to keep it as engaging, have some fun stories in there for you, and uh, just give you a little better idea of what I do. Let's start with just InterVarsity. Uh, on the next picture, there's a nice, uh, hopefully the next slide. Um, actually, the next, next slide. There is a picture of the U.S., and uh, InterVarsity is a student ministry similar to maybe you're familiar with Crew or Chi Alpha. Um, we are on 691 campuses around the United States. But you see here in uh, this specific quote here is that we believe God wants a diverse witnessing community on all 2,500 U.S. campuses that have 1,000-plus students enrolled. So there's over 4,000 campuses in the United States. Uh, 2,500 of them have more than 1,000 students. And this doesn't mean that we want an university chapter on each one of them. We want somebody witnessing to the students on each of those campuses. And so we work together with other student ministries to accomplish that. And we have still seven years. This is the 2030 vision. Um, in 2030, we want there to be a student ministry on each of those campuses. Um, so one of our slogans is, every corner of every campus. So we don't just want to be on every campus, but we want to make sure that we reach out uh, to each of the particular populations there. Some of you know that for a while I did international student ministry. International students are a corner of campus. Uh, I mean, when you think of campus, you might not think of it as corners, but those, those are the corners. So there might be more than four. It might not just be a square. Uh, but there's a Latino group on, on campus. Well, is there a ministry that appeals to these students? So that's, that's every corner of every campus. And again, we partner with other student ministries to accomplish that. So my job, I am the Associate Director of Study Abroad. That is a national position with InterVarsity. And this is like often a big shift for people to think. It's like you're working with Study Abroad students here on campus in Pullman. Well, yes, if anybody in Pullman is going to go study abroad, but actually at any of the 691 campuses, there might be students in our chapters who are studying abroad, and we try to make sure that they can choose in to studying abroad with God at the center. Now, I will tell you more about that in a second, but first I want to tell you about the larger department we're part of. You know organizations have structures, and so study abroad is a small department that's part of a larger department that's called Global Engagement and Justice. And here you see some of my colleagues from Global Engagement and Justice uh, a couple of years ago. And Global Engagement and Justice, you see there's obviously a Global Engagement part and a Justice part. Each of our programs fall in either of those categories or sometimes on both. Um, and so there are three main programs. There's a variety of programs that we have, but the main three programs that fall under that are global programs, justice programs, and our study abroad program. And so I just want to tell you a little bit more about what's happening in global engagement and justice before I continue and talk about just solely study abroad. So global programs, like I, you know, I, I'm realizing like in InterVarsity we use all these phrases and names, and they're like really clear to us, but it's like, what is a global program? That can mean anything, right? I think one way to describe it is it's a short-term missions program for students. Short meaning can be spring break, can be like eight weeks during the summer. 
And it, it's a collect, like a collection of different type of experiences. It can be like we have some students go to China to be befriend Chinese students at the university. And that's what they did for eight, eight, eight weeks. So that's one type of missions program. Uh, but we've also had people go to, uh, to live with the, the urban poor in Mexico. So like very different type of experiences, but all of them, what they have in common is that they are global. Um, and uh, we work together with local churches there, the ministries there. Um, sometimes, uh, a lot of the time, there's evangelism involved, uh, but it can also be around spiritual disciplines. We have a commit the Camino that students can walk, and it's six weeks in, in Spain. And so that's more around their own spiritual growth. Although they have a lot of really great spiritual conversations with the people as they walk the Camino. And then justice programs, they're obviously sort of like build around the justice component there. They can be worldwide. They can also be in the U.S. We have programs in L.A., in Baltimore. We had one in Tacoma uh, that maybe some of you know, Annie Crawford. She went there several times. And then we have them around the world. In Nicaragua, there's one in Mexico. Uh, I was just checking in with the director, and she's setting one up in Manila, the Philippines, right now for this summer. And so they focus on justice. They work with homeless people. They work with immigrant families, with refugees, and they explore issues of justice, poverty, oppression, racial reconciliation, and violence. And um, again, these groups collaborate. They're not going there by themselves to do a short-term mission. The, the real goal is that it's transformative for the students, but there's also a lasting positive effect at the places they go to, which is often so difficult by doing cross-cultural missions. And so we work with already established churches, ministries, and people that, there are, on, that are on the ground. So I want to give you two examples, because these are all kind of like, okay, this is the dry, dry information about these programs. But there's students that go on these programs. So I have two students. Uh, both of them went to Kenya, but different, different years. And the first one, her name is Dani. And uh, she went to live for seven weeks in a urban slum in Kenya. Now, we do this, like this sounds really dangerous, right? We do this, again, in the communities already there. So they're part of a relatively safe community, but they are living in the slums and engaging daily with people in the slums. She says the first day that she arrived there, she wrote in her diary that, materially speaking, this was the furthest place you could possibly imagine to be from the Garden of Eden. She looked around, and she just saw abject poverty and injustice, and she just imagined how angry Jesus must be at people living in these kind of situations. So that's day one, right? Still seven weeks to go. She was shaken to the core to see people live like this. She says, there's one thing about seeing pictures of the slums or seeing a video, but standing there, smelling it, hearing the sounds, but something completely different. And she really had to figure out, like, like what, what is God doing here? But as I said, we placed her with a church community. And she was even more bewildered by that because these people are people that live in the slums, have very little. Uh, sometimes she saw these people go hungry. They couldn't feed their kids. But then at the same time, these people would come together in church and sing, how great is our God? And they would just show such a love, such a faith, such a hope, and she couldn't really place those two things. Those are just two different worldviews, right? Like, how do these things even go together? A lot of our students struggle with that, and then they come back to the U.S., and I think this was the case for Dani. It's like, if you come from a place like that and you come back to the U.S., it looks like the streets are paved 
with gold, right? Like, like this is such, like, how can people live in such wealth and on the other hand in such poverty? And um, I think that's not necessarily true. I mean, if you live in the U.S., you find out that there is injustice, there are people living in poverty, but you're just like kind of thrown out of your comfort zone. And um, she was still in the process of trying to figure out what does that mean? What does that mean for my life? I think Jessica, who went a year later, uh, had a better way, well, she had a little bit more time to process that. And um, so let me tell her story as well. She, um, she said like she, at the age of 14, was diagnosed with diabetes and uh, felt like it was when she came to Urbana, our missions conference, um, she heard the call to go to Kenya, like that was an option. She really felt compelled to go, but she was like, I, I don't know if I can go. Is, is this going to, uh, uh, just to, to maintain my health as I go to a place where there's not great access to healthcare, is this something I should do? And so she prayed about it. She um, decided to go and, as she calls it, take my health in my own hands. <laughs> I don't know if that's literally what she meant, but she's like, I'm going to go and check in with the doctor and just see what can I do to, to go to Kenya anyway. And he sent her to some specialist and the specialist said, you don't have diabetes. She couldn't believe it. She was like on the way back uh, home. She said she was just crying, uh, uh, both like mixed emotions. But what it did make, it paved the way for her to go to Kenya. And she was overjoyed by that opportunity. Now, she didn't live in the slums. She went to a village outside of a bigger city. She worked with small kids there. And she said it was difficult because she didn't speak the language. She was learning the language, but the kids wouldn't listen to her because obviously she didn't know what to say to the kids. And she said there was one boy, like an eight- or nine-year-old boy, who would help her and, and tell the other kids, like, listen to the teacher. And, and the kids would, would, would respond well to that. And so she really bonded with this kid. But at the same time, she realized, like, there was not a lot of opportunity for this kid to thrive, Right. She says she wanted to take the kid with her, like put him in a, in a suitcase and take him back to the U.S., but obviously she couldn't. So when she came back home, she again, like just like Dani, struggling with like, how, how do I live here and live out my faith while knowing there's people in these kind of positions of poverty? And uh, she decided for a while to work uh, with kids who live in poverty in the U.S. and hope to overcome generational poverty. That's her goal. And uh, she says like, it has really changed her trajectory thinking about her life. Like she says, I refuse to live a comfortable life while so many are living in turmoil. And she's realized that there, when she opened her eyes to it, there's injustice and poverty everywhere that we look. We're just not always aware of it. And she wants to step into those places of brokenness. So you see, that's just the ways that these programs impact our students. Uh, you imagine there's a lot of debriefs, specifically like during and after these type of events. Um, but I think they do both have a positive impact in the places that they go and a transformative experience for the students themselves. So our global programs and our justice programs are short-term missions, as I said, like they're anywhere from one week to eight. Um, study abroad then is a little strange in that because it's a little different. It's, it, it's more on the global engagement part, even though we have justice elements to it. Um, and it tends to be longer, right? Like most students go abroad for at least four months, sometimes up to a year. So before I go into like some of the nitty gritty of our department, I just want to tell you like, why am I even working with a study abroad department? Like what, what is the value of, of doing that and why particularly me? So I'll just take a sip of water. I was gonna do this smooth, but it was not gonna work and I wanted the water anyway. 
Um, so I, I'm originally from the Netherlands. I lived there all my life until I was 21 and got the opportunity to study abroad in Austria. Now, if you look at a map, you say, oh, Netherlands, Austria, that's not that far away. Uh, it's true, it's probably like a, a day, day's drive, but culturally very different, different language. Uh, at the time, I wasn't aware of things like culture shock, <laughs> but I definitely, looking back on it, I went through some pretty intense culture shock. Uh, but the other thing, as I look at myself then, I would characterize myself as spiritually open. I was not a Christian. I had some Christian background at, at growing up, going to church some of the time, had some biblical um, um, knowledge, but I definitely had kind of said, okay, uh, if God has to actively do something for me in order to believe this. But at the same time, I remember having spiritual conversations with, with others in my class, and so it was definitely not like I was closed. Now, Austria, and specifically Salzburg, uh, is a very Catholic place. Uh, for a long time, Salzburg was its own country with a bishop as the ruler. So you imagine it's, it's very Catholic. Uh, and that, that you can see that in the, um, in the buildings as well. There's statues of saints and of biblical figures. So you're just constantly walking through it, and you're just being confronted with that. And on Sunday mornings, uh, the, the bells of the, the churches would start to ring, and uh, one of them would be louder than the other, trying to kind of outdo each other, right? So you're, you're very aware that you're in a place like this. And so I was like, well, let's check some of these things out. I remember going to a jazz uh, sermon or jazz, uh, what would you say that, like service, um, uh, that had fun music. I had absolutely no idea what the, 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 the priest was talking about. Um, it was very monotonous German, and I was like, oh, this is... Definitely the way to get some extra sleep in on Sunday morning. Um, so I was kind of checking that out. And then some of you know, I met Kelly there as well, my wife now. And she was going to an international church. And that was kind of beneficial too because my German, I was still kind of trying to learn. And doing this in English was a little easier. So I went there. And for the first time uh, in my life, I saw a community that, that cared, that welcomed me in, that loved me that was willing to listen, that was also willing to argue. For Dutch people, it's really important that you argue with them. It's like what we like to do. I remember being this, this guy from Barbados. Uh, after church is another thing that, that people in, in Austria seem to do. It's like you go to church, and after that, you go to the pub. So I was sitting in the pub with this guy from Barbados, and he, just, he was very on fire about Jesus. And I can't remember what he was talking about. All I remember is that he was standing there with his hand in the air in the pub, talking about Jesus really loudly. And I just thought it was really cute. And I thought, this is, this is a community I can see myself being part of. Um, I, displacement, going outside your comfort zone, opens opportunity for God to work in you. Where I think in other parts of my life, I wasn't as open. Being abroad, everything is different anyway. There is a kind of openness for students to hear the gospel for the first time or hear it differently. And that's what I desire for students as they study abroad and as they make friends as they study abroad. So now going a step to um, back and talking about university doing study abroad ministry. Uh, our department exists now for about 10 years. When we started, study abroad, like if you would have asked a staff in university who works with students, what do you think of study abroad? Most of them would have said, don't study abroad. It's bad for your faith. When you go abroad, uh, you might never like, come back to my, to, to my chapter. You're, you might not even be interested in faith anymore. So very negative experience, right? And um, we were like, well, but displacement can be really good, and God can work through it. And some of the students go anyway, right? Like, even if your staff tells you you shouldn't go, it's bad for your faith. There's enough students that say, I'm going to go. I want to see these places. I'm going to do it anyway. So the question as a department that we asked is, what if students stayed engaged with their faith? Very, very low bar, kind of, right? Like, that was the minimum we would like students to kind of hop over, that bar. 
keep engaged. And then what if they grew in their faith when they were abroad? What if we connected them with the global church? Innovarsi is part of a much larger organization, sister movements in almost every country in the world. We could connect them with them. Or if that's, there is no ministry there, then maybe we can connect them with a the church. What would, like, what would that look like? What if they shared their faith with those around them? Because they're going to places where there's a lot of people that don't know about Jesus. What if they did cross-cultural learning, realizing, hey, people here, like, they express their faith differently. Maybe some of my faith is mixed with American culture, and some of that is maybe not actually about Christ. Can we separate those two things? What if some of these students came back with a renewed vision for their campus to reach those who are not being reached, some of those corners of campus I talked about? What if now they have been an international student, they suddenly realize there's international students at their own campus, and they want to reach out to them? And so that's where it started. Um, most of our students, if you look at the students that go abroad, again, 691 camp campuses, about 600 students go abroad every year. Uh, if you look at those students, most of the students have at minimum an interest in faith, otherwise they wouldn't be part of our university ministry, right? Like, like they, they somehow have been invited in. So they might not necessarily be a Christian, but at least they're very, very open. All the way, but most of them are Christians, and then some of them are leaders. They're like, they're leading their Bible study. They go out, do evangelism on campus. So we have this whole group of people that go abroad every year. And we have to kind of figure out, well, where do they fit? What is the bar we want them to jump over, right? Like as they go, go abroad. And so um, staff will, I, part of my job is to encourage staff to have conversations with their students figuring out who's studying abroad before they go study abroad. This is another problem I run into all the time. I ask staff, do you have anybody going abroad? They say no, and then I check again at the beginning of the semester, and they're like, yeah, John never showed up. <laughs> like, where's John? Yeah, I, I was calling him, and he didn't pick up, and then finally figured out he's in Germany right now for the rest of the semester. So I'm trying to get staff to be proactive and tell me who's studying abroad before they go, and then have discipleship conversations. So on the next slide, there should be a proxy, uh, what we call in university a proxy, um, that one. Perfect. So this is actually, you should imagine this as a piece of paper, like a brochure that can be folded, and each one is a panel. Um, now, a lot of our staff just had discipleship conversations without this, but this kind of helps if they don't quite know what to do. And um, there's, each panel kind of helps the conversation go further. So imagine a staff is having a conversation with a student. The first panel there, they would ask, well, what do, you, what do your friends share as they travel? kind of a like surfacey question and you'll get surfacey answers like well they'll take a picture with themselves in the tower of pisa right like this is about the most stereotypical picture you can possibly take when you're there um or they'll say yeah well they'll take pictures of their food right like oh look at what i ate so it's very surfacey answers then the second question is well what do you hope to share when you're going abroad and you get slightly deeper answers it's like well i I really hope to meet some people from the country and learn more about their culture and maybe practice my language. And then the third one, and it's a paraphrase of Acts 1.8, a little different than we normally do in our church, um, then you will tell everyone about me everywhere in the world. And the question then is, have you ever thought about study abroad as a way that God might be sending you? And it amazes me every time. I might be talking with students who have gone on mission trips at church, They've gone on a global program with InterVarsity. 
They've done evangelism on camp. I mean, they're always like, they're, they're trying to, to put their faith into action everywhere they go. They've never thought about study abroad with God at the center. It's never even crossed their minds. And part of that is because study abroad generally is a very secular endeavor. I'm not saying secular in a negative word, but it's a very much like university gives you the opportunity, shows you pictures of beautiful places they can go to, programs they can be part, to, uh, part of, and then they have to worry about getting the credits and getting those transferred. And it's this very, like, Non, not, not very spiritual trajectory or process that they have to go through. And so the, the staff having this question is often like a, I've never thought of this. People have changed the place they're going to go study abroad because of this question. It's like, well, I was going to go to London and kind of like take it easy, not having to like, uh, sh- like speak another language, and I wanted to kind of keep it comfortable. But maybe God is asking me to go to places slightly le- uh, less in my uh, sphere of comfort. So, um, and then the last one, we always have that in there as an opportunity, like where are you sent, and then uh, an opportunity to share the gospel. Those little circles are a way to share the gospel. And I'm not going to do that right now because that will go way over time. So that is an idea of the discipleship conversation that we have. And students then have two options to study abroad. Most of them choose option two because by the time we have a conversation with them, they've already figured out where they're going to go study abroad. So most of the students that we deal with are students who are going to go study abroad through their university and often have a choice of like five programs around the world. Then we have option one. These are the students who haven't yet decided when they're going to go study abroad and we're like, hey, we have, InterVarsity has programs for you. We have what we call semester programs. And um, we currently have one in Costa Rica and one in Ecuador. Before COVID, we had one in Rwanda and in Thailand. And of course, like COVID was this big thing that, that, that dis- disturbed things a little bit. But the programs are still there. And they're a little bit more like the global programs I talked about. They're around themes of justice uh, and poverty. But there's the added thing that you're there longer and you get credits, like up to 15 credits. And the problem, one of the reasons why only a few students choose for this is like the university doesn't always accept the credits, so there's a lot of back and forth trying to make sure that it works. But when it works, it's great. So I want to share with you the story of Dan. Now, Dan is not actually on this picture. Um, it's Natalie is on this picture, but I couldn't find a picture of Dan. So you have a picture of some people in Rwanda, some of our students. And uh, Dan went to Rwanda for four months. And as part of his class, he, um, they, they went on a field trip to a nearby um, uh, refugee camp. Just like you saw last week with Christy, she showed some pictures of it, very similar. Um, in Rwanda, it's a lot of Congolese people. And that's because if you follow the news a little bit in that area, you know there's been a lot of rebels going on. and a lot, There's a lot of really expensive resources that industry wants for cell phones and things like that and the government doesn't have a good hold over it and so there's a lot of rebels fighting over it and then a lot of people get displaced and they go to these camps that are uh, I would say like permanent like they, they have no hope of returning home and Dan went there and one of the things that he noticed was that people were burning wood um, because they need to cook and if you burn a lot of wood, you're going to get a lot of smoke. And if you remember, like, in the summer when the, the smoke from the forest fires come through, that's not very comfortable, right? It's not good for, for your health. It's not definitely not good for people that already don't have the best health to start out with. So that's one problem. The second is they have to go out every day to cut wood. So there's deforestation. They have to go out further and further every day because there's less and less wood near the camp. So some, like, really big problems that just because people need heat. Now, Dan is... 
was at the time doing an engineering degree, and his engineering brain was thinking, this can be done better, right? That's what engineers do. They look at stuff and they think, hmm, I think this can be done better. And he's like, he knew of the existence of a solar-powered oven. He's like, well, what? If, if he, these people just have access to solar-powered ovens, problem would be solved. The problem with a solar-powered oven is that it's expensive specifically for people that live in poverty. They can't afford one. Uh, so he was thinking, well, maybe we can get money from the U.S., people to give, but he wanted a real sustainable solution. And the problem with like, money from outside is that sometimes it suddenly stops coming in, and then you have a problem. So he took that problem to his professor, who said, like, why not as a whole class we start thinking about this? Like, what, how can we solve this problem? And they thought, if we can figure out a way to make a solar oven from parts readily available in the community, so we can buy them locally, that would probably cut the price already a lot. And so they started working on that, and they came up with some other ideas to make the model simpler, and they cut it into, like, uh, cut the price 50%. They were still not ha happy with that, so they worked a couple more weeks on it, and they got another cut of 50%, getting down to the price of $30. $30 is still going to be a lot of money for people in a refugee camp, but a community could eventually um, acquire one of these things. And so they started the pilot doing this, and... Um, as the pilot was going, they connected with the director of the refugee camp, and he says there's a really interesting extra benefit to this. Because up till then, people would have had to go outside the camp, and a lot of the time these were young kids, went outside the camp to collect wood, and it'd be dangerous. People would uh, rob these kids, sometimes they get raped. It was like really sad situation. And now having a solar oven near their own house meant they didn't have to travel as much, and so the overall safety in the refugee camp went up. Just, a, I think, an amazing story of, uh, again, how a student choosing into not just studying abroad, but saying, like, I care about certain issues and I want to follow God wherever he takes me, uh, how that can just be so different from your average study abroad experience. So let's then go to option two, and we have another picture of that. It's what we call the pathway, and I'll do that really quickly just to kind of show you some of the programs we have. So if a student says, I'm going to study abroad in Hungary, then we say, okay, we got some resources for you. First is the Send Handbook. Send Handbook is created with a, um, a part that is about before you go and some kind of ways to prepare. Both, both has some really practical things about crossing cultures, but it also has some Bible studies, and again, thinking about, like, what does it look like to have God at the center? Then there's a thrive section in which there's Bible studies, there's a retreat people can take, and so it's just kind of, again, for that time that they're abroad. And then there's also return, because return can often be a little harder than you expect. You expect culture shock to happen when you go there, but you don't expect to have reverse culture shock. And depending on how deep you go into a culture, the reverse culture shock will be bigger as well when you go back. So that's our SEND handbook, so we want all our students to get that. And then when they come, uh, when they go abroad, we want them to be part of a digital small group. Um, we call, say, here, digital discipleship. We did this way before Zoom, and people were like, what is Zoom? How do I install it? Now everybody pretty much has it on their computer. But we were already doing that. And part of it is studying abroad is challenging enough. Let's create a place where there's support to debrief. How did your week go? Um, but also, let's dive into the Word. What is God saying about this? Can we? I, I often call our digital small groups our hub. It's a way that we connect people to things like, uh, have you found a local community? If not, let me help you do a little research and find a place to go. I was just talking two weeks ago to a, a student in Paris who hadn't found yet a good fitting um, 
um, church. And luckily, we've had students go to Paris before. And so we had a list to say, like, check out these places and go and talk to this person. So those are, those are the things that happen in digital small groups. So we connect them then to the communities abroad, sometimes in a varsity, sometimes uh, completely different, like churches or other student ministries. Then to start something new, that's for our leaders. So some of the leaders say, like, I really want to be challenged, and I want to, I want to go out and tell people about Jesus. Oh, and say, like, okay, you can do that. And they're part of that program, and we, we give them a mentor to, to figure out like, how to do that. And a lot of the time, we don't just want people to run wild by themselves. Again, get connected to a community. What is their need? How can you be part of that? Those are really important questions that we ask them. And then the last one are our journeys. European journeys, for 50% of our students go to Europe, so we have a lot of things going on there. And those are, sometimes I call them pilgrimages in Italy, Ireland, and Spain. Spain is the Camino. In Italy, it's uh, going and, and exploring the life of Francis and Claire of Assisi. And uh, in Ireland, it's going out, like, exploring saints like Patrick and Bridget. And you might say, like, that sounds a little Catholic. And it is, but at the time, I mean, there was no distinction, right? That was all there was in Europe. Was you were Catholic or you weren't a Christian. Um, so it is shared Christian history, but it's also people that lived out their faith, like Assisi, for example, or Francis, for example, lived out his faith in a time where the church was doing a lot of things that Christians probably shouldn't be doing, and he lived differently, right? That's how we challenge our students. And similarly with Patrick, it's like he got, went to a place where most people weren't Christians. Well, how did he live out his faith? And so we challenge students with that. We also invite them to uh, invite a friend, because a lot of the time, People that aren't Christians are actually really interested in our pilgrimages. It's a great opportunity to share the gospel. So then I'll get to my last part, our launch. So one of the things that are, isn't on that uh, slide, but on the next slide you'll see a beautiful picture, is our launch. Like we try to get students to um, get together at the beginning of a semester. To it, it, There is just not, I mean, it's great that we have digital opportunities to get together on Zoom, but there is nothing that replaces in-person time together for the weekend and have these students really think about how to live out their faith as they're abroad. So this is in Barcelona. There, this picture is taken in front. The one here on the left is taken in front of the Sagrada Familia, beautiful, um, a beautiful cathedral, uh, mainly uh, designed by Gaudi, um, an architect that lived in the 19th century. They've been working on it now for like 140 years, and it's not quite finished yet. They still have about seven or eight years to go. Um, but you can actually go inside. And uh, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about this in a second, because one of the main things that we want students during our launch retreat to, to think about are the terms tourist and pilgrim. And as a study abroad student, it's really easy to, like, you, during the week you're doing your credits, right? You're doing your classes. And in the weekends, you're going to see as many places as you possibly can. And that's being a tourist. But we invite them to be a pilgrim. Not like a 17th century pilgrim that comes to the U.S., but a spiritual pilgrim. Uh, somebody who walks with God. So a tourist is somebody who sees places, who experiences food, who sees the world through the camera or the camera on their phone. And that is fun for a time. I, I think being a tourist is great. But if you don't want to be a tourist for four months. A pilgrim, on the other hand, is somebody that is present. It's all about connection. It's being present to God. It's present to each other. And so when you walk into the Sagrada Familia, and the kind of blurred picture here on, on the right is the inside, it's, I was just awestruck when I walk in there. When you walk in there, it's so beautiful, and it's so centered on the gospel. Uh, I just want to worship God. Just walking into that space, that's my innate like sense of that space. But then I look around, and I see a lot of people taking selfies, 
and doing silly things and some kids running after each other. And you're like, huh, this is an interesting tension point, right? On the one hand, this is really sacred space. On the other hand, there is this, there's a lot of tourists here. And again, I'm not saying anything bad about tourists, but it's an interesting picture of, of seeing the different ways that we can engage places. And so we had a good time with students to kind of talk that through. It's like, well, when you go home, how can you choose in everyday life to be a spiritual pilgrim, right? How can you choose to be present to God and present to people in the ordinary? And I think that's a question for us as well, like as you go through your week, like where are those places where you say, I think I'm a little just distancing myself from things. How can I be present to them? So as uh, one of the, we, we did a variety of different studies, but one of them was uh, studying John 15, where Jesus says, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the, in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So we asked these students that you just saw a second ago on there, we asked these students, um, what would fruit look like this semester for you? Just dream. What could it look like for you to follow Jesus this semester? And uh, Josh, one of the students that was there, he, he, wrote, he, he had some bold things written down. He said, I want to witness to my host family. He's staying in Spain, and he has a host family, a host dad and a host mom. I always think it's cute when students are referring to the host mom and the host dad. Uh, shows also like that they're getting close to them, which is really fun. He wanted to witness to other American students that had also gone abroad with him, and he wanted to witness to some of the international friends he had made. So quite a, a high bar that he had set for himself. Uh, and I, uh, some of the other students had different things, but Josh was, was kind of stood out there. And uh, Chelsea, my colleague who, who specifically does student discipleship, checked in with him a few weeks later, and he was so excited. He said he had gone to his church and had a Spanish Bible, and he had taken it to his host uh, family, and his, he'd been reading the Bible in Spanish every day with his host mom, and his host dad had been reading it by himself. And for him, there was the added benefit of, like, I get to read this, the Bible in Spanish, like, learning my, like, uh, learning to get better at Spanish. Then he had found somebody at church that was willing to do a Bible study with him, and they invited five of his American friends. All five of them said yes, but only like three showed up. That's okay, right? He was bold. He went out there. He invited his friends, and they said yes. Um, and then he invited some uh, international students as well. Uh, he, he said, like, let's do, do you, would you be interested to do, study the book of John with me? And all three students said yes there as well. And he was very surprised. Like, he had written these things down, kind of bold, but he expected most of them probably not to happen. And he was just surprised. People just kept giving him yeses. And that's really, again, that's what we want to see in students, taking, taking some risk. Sometimes it's a no, and that's okay. But it's really fun to see when people say yes. And he says, uh, I'm hoping and praying that God would change their hearts and that they would understand the gospel and say yes to Jesus. So I might have more of an update on what happened there at the end of the semester because that's the story that's still going on. So all the stories that I've shared uh, today have something in common. They all deal with brokenness. Some of them might be more obvious, like brokenness in like senses of justice or poverty, right? This is brokenness between people, and we see that all around us, and that's what we want our students to engage with. But it's also about brokenness between God and people, like these people in, in Josh's family and his friends who don't know Jesus, and there's a brokenness in the relationship between people and Jesus uh, and, and God, and, and Josh 
is witnessing about his faith to them. Through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, we are invited into a relationship with God and invited to be part of his kingdom work and to stand in places of brokenness. And that's not because we can fix that, but because God can use this as we go into those places and we can see things being mended. So my challenge for you, and you can think about it for a minute while I think the worship team will come back up and we'll sing our last song, but just a challenge to think about. Where do you see brokenness? I think a lot of the time, if you see it, well, if you don't see it, ask God for your eyes to be opened, right? But if you do see it, maybe God is nudging you. Maybe that is a place that he wants you to move towards. So maybe this differently said, where is Jesus needed in your neighborhood? And the challenge then is, is God calling you there? So take a minute to think about that.